Good morning, everyone. Really excited today because we have got my dear wife on the show with us and we are talking about how you can become an overnight success because very often we see people on Facebook and you see people that um, showing wares and things and we perceive that they've you know become an overnight success. It's taken them literally six months and they've got to where they've got. But what you don't generally see are all of the building blocks that that person has taken in order to get to where they are. So what I thought I'd do today is bring on my lovely wife, Lorraine. Good morning, Lorraine. Good morning. And we're going to talk a little bit about where we are now and how we've got to where we've got to. And with all of those building blocks that it's taken us, what, 25, 26 years to get to where we've got to, it hasn't happened overnight. So Lorraine, good morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you. This is quite odd, isn't it? Because it I don't is, yeah. So Lorraine's in our office at home. I'm in my office in the office, and we thought we'd just do this. And we're also um, <clears throat> doing this on a new piece of software today. So let's see how this goes. So Lorraine, let's talk about uh, the secrets of success. So first of all, do you think there is really a secret to it, or do you think it's just literally spit, hard work, and determination? Uh, it's interesting because... Um our daughter's school have got like different um, success stories on the wall. And I've been reading a couple of them just recently. And what I've noticed is a common theme seems to be that when people associate success with freedom, then the rest seems to fall into place. It's almost like that piece of jigsaw that they kind of work out how to be successful. So I, I think actually, if you have the end in mind, that then the rest just falls into place and you just keep trialing and, and testing stuff until you find that formula that is success. So um, I think actually, if you, if you think about how much hard work it is, then it's just that trial and error and it's been able to fail enough times to get to that end goal of success being freedom, if that makes sense. It does make sense. What do you mean by trial and error? What does that look like? How do people know if they're going in the right direction in all of their sort of their ventures? Oh, I think that's really tough and I think it's a mindset thing and like some of the as you know some of the start times we talk to our mentees we talk about actually just doing one more thing to get you towards your goal um, and a lot of students that we mentor and stuff find that really useful that mindset so trial and error is about just doing one more thing that gets over those obstacles because actually if you do one more thing to get towards success then you'll keep trialing and testing different things so I actually quite like failure because in some respects that gives you a little bit of feedback of what is right. So I always encourage people to try and not think of failure as the massive negative pit that that people seem to fall into sometimes. And we're all guilty of it. And, you know, we've failed at different things as well as succeeded. And as long as you can exceed, succeed at more things, then I think that kind of that's the balance, isn't it? That's when the equation works. So it's about being determined, keep going, keep pushing, don't give up. Let's talk a little bit about our journey. So we met, what, I don't know, 27 years ago. Yeah. And we've always been really entrepreneurial, haven't we, from the start. Yeah. We've always been really interested in business. We've yeah. been interested in making money. How did that look for us way back when? Can you remember how we first started in business? I know I can. Let's see if we can uh, come up with the same, <laughs> the same answers. Um, 
well, I think it was when we started doing burger vans. Is that your recollection? Um, yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Well, you probably had more entrepreneurial stuff going on in your life before we met, but certainly when we met, one of the first things we did together was we looked at how we both had jobs, we both worked um, through the week. And I was training to be an accountant. So we went out and we bought we bought a business. Um, and I was actually talking about this to um, to somebody the other day about how we we bought that business. And, and it's quite unusual to sort of go and buy something with a, a book of bookings with, with some kind of success already. It was, it was actually something that was running. We didn't necessarily start it from scratch. Um, so that involved lots of our weekends. That was the only time that we had to be able to start out in business and start running it. So, yeah, that was that was hard work, wasn't it? You know, it was about um, catering and serving the public at those peak times is always yeah. going to be hard work. So we actually looked for that, didn't we? We went out. Yeah. We wanted to we wanted to go into business. So at the time, yeah. um, Lorraine, you were training to be an accountant. Yeah. I was actually in the pub trade and um, I was working as an assistant manager in the pub trade. And that's where we met, both of us. Yeah. And we wanted to get out there. We wanted to work for ourselves. We were really young. You were like 18, 19 years old. Yeah. I was um, just a couple of years older. Um, and we went out there and we started looking, didn't we? And we thought, hey, you know, we saw this guy at a burger uh, in a burger van at a local event. And we saw a queue of people and we thought, hey, that's not a bad idea. So we actively yeah. went out, didn't we? And we looked for a burger van business. Yeah. And, and I remember. Yeah, I remember actually seeing the advert in the, um, we had like a free paper, the journal, remember those things where you kind of like, they come every Thursday and Friday and there was a little advert in the classified saying businesses for sale. And it was one of those things, I always used to have a little look down and see what was out there. Um, and it just seemed to like be fortuitous, but actually knowing what we know now, when you're looking for something, when you have a mindset of going to look for something, then your your brain kicks in, that, that reticulating, activating system as they call it, which is the bit of your brain that focuses on stuff, that's what like led us to find that advert and find that business at that time. So we went out and we bought it, didn't we? So we bought yeah. the business and folks, this was like a caravan um, <laughs> with, a, with a grill in it and <laughs> oven. And uh, yeah, and the jacket potato oven. Yeah, yeah. We went out and we we managed between us at such an early age to pretty much monopolize all of the outdoor events in Worcester. I mean, over a period of two years, we had venues that were massive. And we were taking what? What how much were we taking on? I think we were doing over like a thousand pounds profit um on each venue. So and this was going That's back. A lot of money. Yeah, a thousand pound profit flipping burgers, right? When we were like 19, 20 years old. And people yeah. don't see that kind of stuff, do they, Lorraine? People think no. that automatically, you know, you you've got a big community and people think that you've been an overnight success when they don't see all of that. Now I remember I was working in the daytime uh, as you were and then every weekend we were at uh, young farmers do's we were at caravan events we were at dog okay. shows we were at raceway events um, and dirt track racing car boot sales flipping burgers but we were earning more money then than any of our peers at that time in our life and our age group because we were prepared to put yeah. the hard work in and if you put that into perspective I was earning about six thousand pounds a year as a um, trainee accountant which I think is three pounds something an hour isn't it um, and I think my take home was about £600 a month. And that was a full time role. So it wasn't part time or anything. And then we were earning more at the weekends than I was actually bringing home in a whole month. So yeah. 
So do you remember why we actually um, decided to get away from that business in the end? Do you remember what, what the motivation was? No, should I? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, I got promoted in my job, if you remember. Oh, yeah. um, and that meant us both moving to Nottingham. Hi from anyone that's from Nottingham. Give us a hello. Keep this interactive as well, folks. If you've got any questions, then please do let us know. Um, and I think it was them becoming a little bit of a strain traveling from Nottingham because, folks, you know, when, when we were trading this burger van, it wasn't just about flipping burgers. We had a whole day in the um, the previous day to get it all ready. Then we had a, a whole day pretty much afterwards cleaning it down, ready for the next one. So it was a whole weekend event. And I think it then started to get a bit too much for us, if you remember, Lorraine. And then we yeah, moved to Nottingham because I got promoted in my job. And then things kind of took a very different path, didn't they? Yeah, I, I remember doing Young Farmers events when they wanted like burgers at three o'clock in the morning. Um, and literally it was absolutely freezing that, the weather was like closing in, there was frosty, it was, and the the door had like froze on the um, the van that we were driving. And literally all the way home on the motorway, I had to hold the door closed because it was so cold. It was if you, if you could have seen us, we had this Ford Bedford van and it was a really old fashioned one, a really old fashioned one. It was white, but yeah. it had been hand painted with white gloss. Um, <laughs> And it was literally, it looked like we didn't have anywhere to live. That's what we used to drive around in. Making all of this money, flipping burgers, but driving around in this. I don't even know how it got through an MOT, but it did. I remember once traveling down the motorway with this burger van. I forgot to close the door and all of the ladles and all of the, um, all of the equipment and burger buns were flying out the back. <laughs> hey, this is the reality of being in business. All right. Yeah, so, so, so we sold the van. Yes. Actually, what, what we haven't said is that one burger van turned into it turned two, into two. Yeah. roast, the pig spit roast. So what we used to then do is we, we sort of developed, and this was all while Lorraine was like 19 years old. Uh, and then we started doing weddings where we were doing pig roasts and pig roast carveries. And that meant sitting at the venue all day from like seven in the morning with this pig on this roast and cooking it so it was ready for 7 p.m. in the evening. And we were prepared to put the work in. So I think, you know, you're laughing there. I think that, you know, the moral of this story is we worked bloody hard, didn't we, back in the day? I can remember, like, the panic when the pig wasn't ready and we were, like, trying to, like, cook it and then make sure it was cooked and then, like, you know, you can, like, do it too quickly and all of that. So all right, fun. let's tell that story, being as we did it. So we got to the point where it was 7 o'clock at night, the bride and groom were all happy, everyone was dancing, they were all in high spirits, and then it was, ladies and gentlemen, I'm pleased to announce the pig roast is now open! And everybody ran towards <laughs> this pig roast. Um, and, of course, it was me, it was Lorraine's dad that was helping, and we carved into this pig roast and it wasn't cooked. And I was like, oh, my God, it's been there for, like... <laughs> Dancing for eight hours and it's not cooked and everyone was like you know they were all stood there waiting so what we had to do is get a camper stove out of the van out of the little bedford van and we had to light this camper stove slice the pig off and then cook it and sizzle it in a frying pan and put it in the burger bun and send it out do you remember that that was like oh my god what are we doing and stress, but you, you kind of like you can look back now and laugh and, and cry with laughter but at the time it's like it was deliver, really stressful, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It really was stressful. All right, so I think that was the pinnacle then. We decided then, you know, our jobs were getting quite demanding and we sold that business and we sold it quite easily. We didn't make yeah. a lot of money when we sold it, but it was no. the first business we had and it was really good grounding on how to run a successful business, how to hustle, how to get yourself out there and how to physically do more than 
most people in order to be successful. And then we kind of, um, we, we went into flipping property then, if you remember, that was our next venture. So you fell pregnant and uh, you decided that we were going to go and start flipping property. Now we didn't know anything about flipping property. And for those that don't know what flipping is, it means buying and then doing up and selling on for a profit. And we started researching the market. We had a little bit of money in the bank and then we found a property, didn't we? And we just went in on it and we didn't know what we were doing. We bought it in probate or just out of probate. And that was our first real property kind of experience, wasn't it? But we'd become accidental landlords, remember, as well, because we'd moved from where we were with your job. So the, the house we left behind in Nottingham, we then became accidental landlords as well, didn't we? Yeah, so kind of jumped that step. Yeah. So when, when we went to Nottingham, we sold the burger business, the burger business, listen to it. It's like we had a McDonald's, you know, hey, maybe it would have turned into McGannon's, I don't know. Um, we sold the burger business, moved to Nottingham, and again I got promoted um, and we had to move back from Nottingham. And at the time, we bought our house off plan, which means that we bought it brand spanking new. Um, you know, we, we just it wasn't built when we bought it. And when we came to try and sell it, we were in negative equity, so we couldn't sell it. So we decided to rent it out. And back then, 1998, 99, yeah. it was really easy to get a second mortgage. Lorraine, you had a great job. I had a really good job as well. So it was very easy for both of us to get a mortgage. And we then became accidental landlords by default. And that was our first, our first experience of being a landlord, wasn't it? Yeah, I remember being terrified by the whole... Um, Will, I, will will our rent be paid sort of thing and we had like landlord insurance for rent payment and everything and just getting used to that whole concept of somebody else is living in your house and you should have rent coming in and that whole process so yeah yeah absolutely and you know but then it it, it served us really well because 12 yeah. months, I think Lorraine was it 12 months later we managed to sell that house and we made about 90,000 pound profit yeah and then I, we were like hey property okay. where is that yeah, <laughs> I think we rented a bit, a bit longer. I think we went a bit, went rented a bit longer. But if you remember, then we went to, um, we bought the pub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's tell the audience about that. Yeah. Then. So, so we, um, <laughs> we moved from Nottingham, had our uh, burger business sold, and we moved from Nottingham, became accidental landlords, and then we decided that it'd be dead sexy. Or I decided, I think, didn't I, that it'd be dead sexy for us to buy a pub because that meant that we could chill out at the end of the bar, we could relax with our mates, we could have a few drinks, and we could make a load of money as well alongside of it. And it was a really great sort of um, aspiration that we had and thought it was going to be an easy way of making money, didn't we? Yeah, but I think if you think about our skill set at that time, we'd been, you know, we'd been in catering a little bit. We kind of felt we could manage these kind of event, these events, and actually just taking it inside a pub was actually um, aligning with our skill set. So we kind of went down a route where this is kind of bigger business. This is kind of um, getting more serious about it and more professional. So we kind of went down that whole route of um, of getting into property, and of course we've got family members as well that have also had pubs at that time so it felt very much quite like a safe place to be going to kind of like I guess you'd become part of your surroundings at that point and it was just natural for us to to move into that so and it was also a way of escaping that time for money trap because coming from a job you have to kind of come into something quite successful really quickly I think it's really important for 
for people to look at how if they are jumping from a job is finding a way of uh, of providing themselves somewhere to live and somewhere and that put the food on the table and actually a pub does that because if you live there and you're part of it then you've just got to make enough money to pay the overheads and you kind of got the roof over your head haven't you it's a kind of a, a secure move so it looked quite sensible from the outside in but of course it it was hard work Mm, it was hard work. <clears throat> we'll talk about that journey. Hi, Rich. Rich um, is saying that the live feed keeps skipping to the beginning. Okay. Um, looks all right from this side, Rich. Not sure whether that's an internet issue. Is everybody else okay with it? Can everybody else see us all right? Hit us up in the comments, folks. I've got the live comments on here. So um, if it's all good, please let me know. If it's not, obviously, I might need to refresh the stream. So yeah, it looks good from the outside. But very quickly, we became quite successful in the pub industry. And we took this pub on. And it was really difficult for us in the early days, wasn't it, Lorraine? Because it was a pretty rough place. Yeah. We were really young. I had to go in, or we had to go in. And we really had to turf all of the old customers out and and start again with new clientele and that wasn't a very easy process so what do you remember about that well <laughs> it's quite emotional because actually one of the first things i remember was being put in a headlock over the bar by some idiot that um wanted to be served extra drinks late um or i can't actually might have been out on a session all afternoon and he was just playing up in our bar and it, it was almost like it was okay for the locals to run the pub actually as the owners we weren't considered to be in charge of it they almost felt that it was their pub um and we just served behind the back of it uh, and they kind of felt they had the run of it so it was very challenging and when when i think you know trying to relate this back to where people are jumping into property is actually if you see vendors that are or, or sellers that are have this emotional angst around property it's really you know you perhaps don't understand unless you've been in the situation how angst it is yeah. because for years going back to that pub I felt butterflies in my stomach I felt sick um it gave me all these emotions uh, just mm. looking at it and I didn't we still own this now don't we we still, yeah. we still own this pub and we never sold it in fact it is on the market at the moment if anyone's interested in buying a pub um but you're absolutely right you know it, it still fills us with those kind of emotions even 20 odd years later yeah and I think actually as as sellers we can look too deeply at and buyers sorry we can look too deeply into a deal and think like why would they want to sell this this is cash flowing what's wrong with it but actually, sometimes we all make buying and selling decisions based on emotion. And, and at that point, I think we'd have quite happily like swapped the money and gone. You know, it was yeah. just one of those things. But we stuck to it and we stuck yeah. with it. And what we decided then, just going to address a couple of questions here. Rich is saying yeah. that um, yours is lagging. Sorry, Rich, don't know about that. Uh, Kirk, hi, Kirk. Kirk's saying the stream is okay from my end, watching from work. Good job, guys. Hopefully I can watch the entire stream. Awesome. Gertie's saying, yeah, the stream is fine and saying good morning. Um, and Kirk's saying good morning as well. So um, good. Glad that the stream is working there. Sorry about that, Rich, for you. Don't know what's going on. This is a new platform for us. We are just testing it. We normally use different software. Uh, came across this. This. Thank you for the recommendations, by the way, uh, for those that recommended this yesterday. Right, so let's move on from there then. So Lorraine had this one pub, but stupidly yeah. or not, I don't know, we decided that we um, we did really well once we got rid of the clientele in that pub, once we started making it into a business and a family place to be. I think it's fair to say that you and I worked really, really, really hard 
probably for three years to get to where we needed to be in that pub. But then we decided to buy some more. (laughs) (laughs) So um, talk us through that sort of that transition period. So we decided to move away from that property and that pub. We leased it to tenants, didn't we? And then we took a little bit of a break, but we went back into it. Why do you think we did? I mean, it's not something we ever really enjoyed, but then we decided to do it even on a bigger scale and we bought another four. Yeah, I think uh, you have to look at the fact that pubs are intense at peak periods of time. And one of the things that I look at when um, whenever I make a decision to go in a different direction, I always think about the outcome. So what is it I want? And I think we went into pubs without a family and we didn't have um, Ben and Charlotte weren't born. So it wasn't necessarily for us about not having to work weekends or all that kind of um, that noise. So we were quite happy to be busy at certain times. But as owner operators, you can you can get so busy delivering and doing the business, you don't get a chance to step back and think about the profitability. So I think that's potentially why we got drained, we got a bit burnt out with the first pub. Um, and if you remember, the reason to go back into the second pubs um, and buy the, the rest was because Ben was born. And I think as a family, um, Ben was born with cerebral palsy. He was born 10 weeks early. Um, we panicked a little bit, you know, the kind of like we we retracted in and went, OK, right. We all want to be together. Uh, we want to go back to something we know. We want to spend time together. We want to have more freedom and flexibility over our time. And, and pubs can deliver that to some extent for us. So that's why we then went and looked for another pub. Um, but then that comes as Ben grew up with that and Ben's needs became more and more aware, we realised that actually we were working bank ends, we were working Christmas, we were working through this, the summer holidays. That was the peak times when we needed to be in the business, but actually one of the most difficult times to get childcare when, when you know, nurseries are closed or when um, you, you don't have those facilities. So that's when the business started to not suit us anymore. But I think you and I are both very entrepreneurial, but also we have high values in being able to grow and personal development. So actually, we're always looking for how we can fulfill that value and that need is just that personal growth. And what's the next stage? What Where are we going? Yeah. So I think that's why we got to five. Yeah. So we got to our five pubs and we traded and we were turning over, you know, millions of pounds a year, not in profit folks, by the way, Um, very little profit. So you and I were working, we had about 80 something staff. Um, And I think that's probably one of the hardest things that we've done as a family unit and as a couple, because it might sound easy that, you know, you've got 85 staff, you're turning over several million pounds, you've got all of these pubs, there was no glamour involved in that whatsoever. I was very much um, in the kitchen, in the, the engine room, managing the kitchen, managing the cookery and all of that kind of thing. You were very much front of house in some of them, and we employed managers for the rest of them. So we still actively involved ourselves in one of the units. But even with that amount of staff and with that amount of managers, I think it was just as hard. Now, I think we were making more money with one pub, one unit and about 15 staff than we were with six pubs and 80, 85 staff. And I think our lifestyle was a lot better. So I think the lessons that we've learned from that is bigger is not always better. Yeah. And I think if you look at how the pubs were at that stage, it was real. It was a really it was a, a window of time when actually before the smoking ban, before that sort of stuff came in, it was still very much part of um 
community culture you know villages and things like that would would community would gather together and they would drink and socialize i think that's gone we've come away from that more and more now as people have less um less money in their pockets so i think the challenge with pubs is that actually you have very small recurring income items so actually you don't have any recurring income sorry you have very small um, retail sales so you, you never know who's going to walk through the door tomorrow and if it's sunny you're going to be busy and if it's raining you're going to be not so busy so there's no predictability in a pub's operations as such certainly at the time we were running them um, so we didn't have that kind of recurring income base to be able to prop up all the overhead and of course if you've got 90 odd staff like we had just putting the rotors together in itself is a a minefield you know you've got to move yeah. people all over the place send people home early if it's quiet and bring people in if you're busy and and that requires a lot of planning a lot of scheduling but the the businesses itself that they, they don't have any recurring income and that's where i think we moved away from the the pub model because actually property does have a baseline recurring income mm. it does have that each month and we all live on a monthly overhead basis that's why we get our salaries monthly, we get paid monthly, and our bills come in monthly. So it's having that, again, it's matching where you, what you need with, with what you're going to do in life and your business. So we decided then at that point, didn't we, to um, sell the pubs. Um, mm -hmm. Some of them we gave back because they were leases, and yeah. some we closed. Yeah. And uh, we sold one to um, uh, Enterprise Inns, and we... Yeah kept one and we still own that today because we were emotionally attached to it we were offered quite a lot of money for that and we decided to keep it and going back you know when we talk about property and we talk about well you know regulation is coming in this and it's stopping us doing that and it's stopping us from doing this and well that's no different in any industry and we saw that in the in the pub industry as well an awful lot because we saw that when the smoking ban came in and they then they began to charge more levy on um, alcohol and then there were more uh, yeah. around HR and stuff. So that's no different. And I think it's just very much in your focus right now, everybody that's listening to this, because we are all doing property or pretty much all doing property. So we decided at that point, Lorraine, didn't we, that we were going to sell up and we did. And we then were sort of stuck in a quandary. Um, so I went back into, uh, into the police and I then worked for 10 years or so as a police officer. You decided to go and pursue a career um, for yourself and start your own business. Yeah. And then people know that they've, you know, if you've read my book um, and you'll know my story, um, uh, our son obviously was a big driving factor for us. Yeah. And we were spending less time at home, or I was certainly spending less time at home as an operational police officer. And I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to make um, I wanted to be there for my family. I wanted to be there to help my kids grow up and see them flourish. So Lorraine and I had a chat um, and we decided that property had always been the way forward for us. It's always been something that we'd made money in in the long run. And that's yeah. when we decided to go back into property, but make it full time. Yeah, because I think we, we look back and we realized that we'd made more money out of trading and selling pubs as, as properties than we had actually as, um, as as running them on the on the kind of it just being like paying the bills and and succeeding that way. So for us, actually, it kind of made a lot of sense. We'd always been able to make money out of property. So 
So that's what we did. So yeah. we decided to go hell for leather. We went into property and um and and I'm still here, fortunately, several years later. And <laughs> and now, you know, and when we get to the end of this, now this is where we are now. So um, you know, this isn't me banging my own drum or you know, blowing my own trumpet, but we are where we are now. Um you know, we've got published books. Lorraine's about to release her book as well. So watch out for that, folks. We're going to be doing a massive launch soon. Um, and we're going to talk about that in a second. And, of course, we've got our podcast channels. Um, I've appeared on television. I was in the um, the Daily Mail a couple of weeks ago. I'm about to go into another national paper. I can't tell you yet which one it is because it's not been released. Um, you know, we've got a portfolio worth several million pounds. We've got 10 staff. We've got a, a monthly rent roll of about 40,000 pounds. But we haven't just got there. It hasn't just happened. You know, from everything we've just told you, it's happened all the way through from having that entrepreneurial mindset and never giving up. Even when the chips were down and even when things got really hard, we didn't throw the towel in. We carried on and we stayed focused. We stayed there for each other. Lorraine, how do you think, you know, people deal with negativity in different ways? And there's a lot of negativity out there. Um, and we see it all the time because if we look for it, we're going to find it. How do you think the best way is to deal with negativity? I, I think there are perhaps two types. The first one being personal. So you might have something in your life or something that's really negative. Um, for instance, for us, the trigger for us was that we had Ben was born with cerebral palsy and and that still, you know, still affects us on a day to day basis. So last week we had some not so great news, um, you know, that challenges that our mindsets at times. But what I see in our mentees and the people that we work with and train in property is that actually people who have hit perhaps a rock bottom or some place of a real challenge if you can flip your mindset and turn that into a positive, so you can kind of think, okay, well, it's almost as if things can't get any worse, so they have to get better. So you kind of go out and look for those opportunities. And I think as people, we're more driven to move away from pain than we are towards the carrot. The reward in itself is is not enough. So I, I, I kind of encourage people to, to almost be grateful for some of the negative things that have happened um, although it's really tough, I get it, and it's taken years of healing and 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 getting over Ben's disability. And it, you know, it actually is hasn't even happened to you and I, is it? It's happened to our son. Mm. Um, so we're just we're not, you know, we're not in that moment. Bless him, he is. But I think as a, if you can kind of overcome that, then that's one thing. I think there's also the negativity around an industry, and actually, as business owners, we are we're driven to make a profit out of, out of problem solutions and, and finding challenges that we can make good. So actually the drive towards profitability is always going to solve those problems for us. So I, th I think if you've got negative stuff going on, it's got to be about that mindset of pushing through the negative stuff. What one thing can I do? Um, and it, there was always something it, it just, you know, you might be open to it, you might be close to it, but we are the sum of the powerful questions we ask ourselves. And if we don't ask ourselves what one thing can you do to like, overcome this, 
then mm. potentially you're going to stay in that negative place. I mean, you and I work well together. We've worked, you know, together for years. Um, you know, there is a balance, isn't there? You know, we, yeah. when we're at work, we're at work, and it is just like being at work. And of course, when we're at home, then you know, we're a family. Um, how hard do you think that is for other people? Because you and I have got each other to bounce off. We've got each other to to bounce ideas from. You kind of pull me back. I'm like the dog that leaps forward, and you're like pulling me back and saying, "Let's let's have a look at this. Let's see if it's the right thing to do." But when people don't have that relationship what can they do to help themselves move forwards so it's about getting somebody that you can talk to and talk things through with and you don't necessarily need to find somebody that is more successful than you but you need to find somebody who is is I suppose trained in coaching you who has been able to move people forward from where they are to where they're going next and actually you and I have we work with coaches in our business and with mentors because actually, even as a husband and wife, sometimes we take for granted the middle ground and sometimes we need to we need to flush that open and make sure that we are protecting our personal relationship as well as, as how we work together in business. And that has taken practice and it's taken years and years of falling out and, and disagreements and all of that. But at the same time, we do work brilliantly together, but that has, I think that's been a learned process. And I think mm. you kind of, if people are coming into business with that husband and wife, it's much more powerful. See if the husband and wife uh, or a people that joint venturing together, you do have somebody to bounce ideas off. It's not quite so lonely. So I think it's really positive to move forwards with that kind of idea and that kind of, you know, if you're going to go into business and property business, it can be lonely. So come yeah. and join groups like ours and share in that. Yeah, just looking at the other comments on the group because I've got this running live on um, a couple of groups here. So uh, hi. hi to Katerina. Um, yeah, overnight success, absolutely. So, um, you know, I think we're going to move quickly now on to your latest venture, Lorraine, because you have got a book that you are about to uh, release. So talk to us about your book. What's in it? How can it help others? So the book is called More Money, More Fun, and it's a deliberate um, outcome-based book. So the idea is that potentially you build assets in your business of your knowledge. So everybody uh, listening to this, everybody um, in, in, in their career, in a job, has some knowledge or know-how that is worth something to the rest of the world. So I'm a great believer in we all have something that we can give and share to other people and they will benefit from. So the idea of the book is to put your knowledge online in the form of an online course and you create a digital asset. Now the world is becoming smaller through digital. So the internet is, is well over 20 years old, but actually social media isn't quite 20 years old yet. Somebody but, said the other day to me, because we use Facebook, only old people use Facebook. That's what they said. I, I was like, what, what do you mean only old people use Facebook? I'm like, oh my God, I better get out there and, and, and do something else. Is that yeah. right? Folks, what do you think? Only old people use Facebook? That means everyone that's watching this fits into that category, right? Yeah, well, I'm not sure it's can blanket say that, but I kind of get the sentiment. There are other platforms that are more hip and trendy, I guess. Awesome. So your book, when's it coming out? How can we get it? I'm really excited. Drum roll. I know, I know. I just had the layout back from the editor, and um I have to say, I've I've been whipped into shape by a fantastic editor. Um, a big shout out to Layla. Um, she has worked magic on keeping me going through the process of writing the book. It's really tough. Um, you have to put your thoughts out in the world in a way that 
is yeah. uh, makes sense, but also is a step-by-step -step methodology. And that in itself is really useful. Um, but actually the same process goes on when you put your, um, your knowledge onto a course, an online course. And my idea is that actually by going through the book, you should be able to earn an income between two to 5,000 pounds a month from your knowledge and that it would be recurring. And there's I some think it's probably at the lower level as well, isn't it, to be fair? It, it is, but I have to I have to kind of think, right, okay, where, where could people easily get to and what would be, be worth? And if actually, if you set your goal at that level, um, then it's not too overwhelming. And actually, I've, I've built in ways to beat procrastination, to get you out of your comfort zone really quickly so that it's not a project that just sits on the shelf, that you're actually driven to an outcome to achieve it really quickly. So I think it's a really powerful methodology. There's some unique ideas there because I think the e-learning industry and online courses have um, different ways of marketing. And for me, the important thing is to uh, get people that freedom to, for them to escape their time for money trap and not to create um, big marketing campaigns that need thousands and millions of pounds spent on, on Facebook, but actually to overcome the lumpy, the lumpy um, money that comes in off big, big promotions and actually just to have a nice recurring income that comes in each month. And that's about giving people freedom, freedom from the bills, freedom from um, the job. And you and I have been in business a long time and we are qualified. You know, we've done a, <clears throat> we've done a lot of different businesses successfully. Yeah. Some, some of them not so successful. You know, it's not all about the roses, but if you can become a billionaire now at the age of what, 14, <clears throat> from your bedroom just by using that yeah. and yeah. that's what we're talking about here this is the power of the, it's not going away is it Lorraine this is staying no. forever this is the power of the internet you can do this from your bedroom you can literally set up a business <clears throat> and make billions of pounds in a matter of days and that's where we're heading towards you know this isn't going away I think education is due a disruption because um, the you know people aren't seeing the return on investment from university degrees things like that um, and actually we need to pass on more entrepreneurial ideas and there'll be more freelancers in the world than there will be jobs in the future that's where we're going so actually if there are more freelancers they'll need to know how to market themselves how to sell their knowledge how to be able to transfer that knowledge in a way that doesn't require them to show up all the time. Mm. And actually in a digital world, you can't show up at every venue when you know, literally have worldwide customers. So it's yeah. about having that leverage and being in the position. You, know, you and I, we're doing a, a live course, and this isn't a plug folks, this isn't a plug at all, but we're doing a live course this Saturday. Now, yeah. we've not been live in the classroom for probably a year and a half because we're online. And, yeah. and our online community is quite big and we deliver our content generally like this. You know, we do things like this to reach a wider audience. And you and I can do this. You're sat at home. I'm in the office. In five minutes time, I'm going to be switching um, this off and I'll be back into the working day. Whereas if you're in a classroom, you know, you, it takes a lot of planning. It takes a lot of putting together, a lot of energy, a lot of delivery. And that's the, you know, the great thing about having everything online. Um, mm -hmm. I've got a question here. Is it a question? Hi, Gertie. I completely understand you as when my wife got pregnant, we opened a cafe. Wow. Yeah. Very similar, which is now a restaurant and a bar. There you go. Now selling the restaurant and putting more effort and time into property. Well done, both of you. Thank you. And let's just dispel a couple of rumors, Lorraine, before we go. I know you've got to go and so have I. I've got an appointment now, but hey. <laughs> um, it's supposed to be finished. <laughs> let's talk about passive income, Lorraine. What does that mean? 
that's a toughie, isn't it? I know where you're going with this. I think like that nothing is ever passive if you think that actually you need to do something. So even if you have money sat in the bank and you you kind of you all you're doing is getting interest on it at some point in time and this is where I put my accountancy hat on you would have had to work or you've had to do something to create that original amount of money unless of course you've been gifted it or inherited it but actually even then there's a responsibility on money and I see this all the time with mentees who have lots of money in the bank but actually it's a massive problem because unless you use that money to generate income then you can't you can't like you can't live a passive life so passive for me doesn't necessarily exist but I understand the sentiment behind it I think actually a more powerful thing is to to establish recurring income that mm. is or leveraged income those two words work much better for me so because, can I can I stop you yeah. I'm sorry I don't like to interrupt but um <laughs> tell me is there anything wrong in this sentence passive property income yes what uh property is not passive okay I wanted to just really get to the point where um, we still work hard, don't we? You know, we've got, to, yeah. we've got, I mean, you know what, folks, you know, we are the same as anybody else. We've got our peaks and troughs the same as anybody else. They might be slightly bigger, perhaps, because we're in a different place. But nothing goes 100% all of the time. Nothing is easy all of the time. You've got to get out there I and mean, you've got to work hard, you know. Yeah. Like said, you know, we've had some troughs in our business recently. Um, we've had, you know, some some issues that we needed to to focus all of our attention on. And that means that we're taking our attention away from one aspect of the business and pushing it towards another. But we have to do that because property isn't passive. Um, you know, it's it, you've got to put yourself out there. You've got to work hard. And we are still working hard, aren't we, Lorraine? Yeah, and, and as you scale and as you grow, you come across different challenges. So it's it's always about you've got to look into your business and reflect, you know, what's going wrong at the moment and what's going right. Business is about a rhythm. And the more that you can establish a rhythm around it, the more the more fun it is. And that's why I like recurring income that is kind of at like the heartbeat of a business. If you can maintain that rhythm then everything else can sit on top of it. So that's mm -hmm. why, and I think that comes from accountancy. I've worked in lots of really big businesses and the ones that were most challenging were, um, were I worked in um, food retail, Sun Valley Foods, and actually that was quite, it was a really intense organization. But if you look at the product, the product had a shelf life of two to three days. Whereas if you look at property, a property has a shelf life of 25, 50 years, depending on how much um, intense use it gets. So you, you kind of look in at your product and actually what, what is the income behind it? And that to yeah. me is more about passive income. Right. We've got to go because I've got to go. I've got an appointment. But um, tell everybody again, please, I want you to say it because it's your book. What's the name of your book? It's called More Money for More Fun. You won't be able to get it anywhere at the moment, but it will be out soon. So please, if you're picking up on this later on, just go and um, find it on Amazon. It will be there very shortly. So More Money, More Fun. Look out for it, folks. Um, um, we will be doing a bit of a launch on it, Lorraine, when it comes out, won't we? Yeah, definitely. All right. I've got quickly from Nicola, before we go, Nicola's just dropped in a last minute question. What type of troughs would you be having in your business? So I'll pick that one up. Um, oh, gosh, Nick, we've got like seven different companies um, right now. Um, it's ironing curtains. <laughs> ironing curtains. There's a great one. So if you watched the live feed that I did about two weeks ago, um, I was ironing curtains till 10 p.m. And I should have been doing something else. I think I was supposed to have been on a webinar, but Lorraine had an appointment. 
we had a load of curtains delivered by FedEx or whoever, Parcel Force, that we needed in a flat the next day at 8 a.m. because we had about five check-ins. I wouldn't say it's a trough, but it's a challenge. So I had to do it. I had to roll my hands up and I was, uh, I did a live video. Have a look at it in the group. So that's just one of them. You know, um, what other troughs have we got at the moment? Um, it's managing everything. It's making sure the wheels are turning. It's making sure that our rooms are of the right standard. We're constantly decorating. We're constantly doing refurbishments. Sometimes the refurbishments don't go to plan. Sometimes we've got a crossover, um, which means we can't put the tenant in. We have to rehouse them somewhere else. You know, it's just general day-to-day um, issues, but sometimes it's about spinning all of those plates. Folks, I hope you found that useful. Lorraine, it was awesome. It's really great to interview you, you know, from the other side <laughs> of, of, of Worcester. Um, so folks, if you need Lorraine or myself or anything, comment below. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope the live stream um, worked for you. It is a new platform we're going to be using. If it works well, um, comment in the box. If it was okay for you, then we'll continue to use it and we'll continue to do these live streams. Thank you, folks. Have an awesome day. Speak to you later. Lorraine, catch you later. Thank you. Bye.